Hey, I'm looking for Skywalker. He had a kid with him? I'm Steve Lascalzo, and this is The Way. Welcome to our weekly recap and discussion of The Book of Boba Fett, streaming now on Disney+. Six episodes are now available. We started on December 29th of 2021, and we will wrap up next week with an episode airing February 9th, 2022. And what an episode Chapter 6 was. Did you catch our reaction podcast? It was recorded and released last Wednesday, the same day that it aired. The past two episodes have been so momentous that I had to talk about them right away. That's why I had the reaction podcasts. In this episode, though, I'll dive a little deeper and do my research. The Book of Boba Fett, like The Mandalorian before it, gives episodes both chapter numbers and names. Chapter 6 is also known as From the Desert Comes a Stranger. I'm not really sure about the meaning of that, except I think this is a reference to the films that may have been part of Dave Filoni's cinematic education. You know, spaghetti westerns. I also think it very specifically refers to one character that we meet. The descriptions available on the show's Disney Plus page reads, Mysteries are explored and Boba Fett learns new information, and that does not describe this episode at all. Enough jibber-jabber, let's talk some Fett. Actually, there is one other matter, if I may. Now for a note about This Is The Way Podcast's partnership with Cufflinks.com. The Book of Boba Fett has arrived on Disney+, and Christmas has come and gone. If you missed out on a nice shiny gift, don't worry. You don't need to hire someone through the guild to bring it home. Go to Cufflinks.com and take a look at their sanctuary's many sundry offerings. New bounties pop up all the time, and now they have necklaces to add to their bracelets, cufflinks, socks, and ties. Boba Fett? He doesn't need to be your favorite. Grogu, the Mando, Vader, R2-D2, Yoda, Chewie. There are more than 3,000 licensed accessories made by this small family-run business. Cufflinks.com is the exclusive, officially licensed provider of cufflinks for dozens of top names and not just Star Wars. Browse through a selection of Disney, Dune, Star Trek, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, DC Comics, and fans of our This Is The Way Phase 4 podcast may recall our love for the great selection of Marvel-themed items. Maybe you're looking for top fashion design names or sports-themed items from leagues like MLB, NFL, NCAA, NHL, and the NBA. The men's accessories you'll find are of the highest quality. We're talking tie bars and clips, shirt studs and stays, lapel pins, money clips, pocket squares, socks, ties, necklaces, bracelets, and cufflinks. If you decide to shop, make sure you check out their page for their current deals, and you can enter the way 15 at checkout for 15% off everything in your cart, with no minimum to buy. The Way 15 will be available throughout This Is The Way podcast's coverage of The Book of Boba Fett. Whether you want to let everyone know how much of a rebel you are, show off your imperial side, or rule the room with respect, Cufflinks.com has you covered. 
Check out cufflinks.com today. Their reputation is legendary. The director for episode 6 is Dave Filoni. I think from now on, whenever you hear Dave Filoni's directing an episode, it's going to be lore-heavy, or Ahsoka Tano might be involved, or both. Writing credit goes to both Filoni and Favreau. It's the first episode Favreau doesn't have sole credit. I would expect that the lore-heavy stuff came from Filoni, and Favreau provides the polish and direction to the writing staff. The episode is listed as running 48 minutes, but I don't count previously on segments or credits. First action to cut to black for this one is 40 minutes, 50 seconds. Usually, I feel like the shot setups are inspired by the concept art, but I think this week Dave Filoni said, this is what it's going to look like, and then he set it up exactly that way. The only one I could spot different from the final cut was the interior shot of the sanctuary bombing, and I think that could very well have been a Disney executive note to avoid some intense trauma. Ludwig Gorenson continues to do an amazing job. He's blending existing themes and themes from other shows into the Book of Boba Fett, and they're perfect mood setters. Early in the episode, there's a mix of Cobb Vanth, then there's Yoda's theme, the Force theme, Grogu's theme, the theme from Luke's battle to the bridge, and Moff Gideon's cruiser. And if you're a Spotify listener, you can check out the first volume of music from the Book of Boba Fett, covering chapters 1 through 4, and I expect next week we're going to get volume 2 with chapters 5, 6, and 7. Where does that leave us now? The credits continue to confuse me, because they'll reveal some secrets and then leave other performances completely uncredited. Boba Fett is Temuera Morrison and appears this week, but he says nothing. Ming-Na Wen is Fennec Shan, and she does get one or two lines. Pedro Pascal is the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, even though he's not always in his suit, right? There's other guys that help him out with the portrayal. Timothy Oliphant is back as Cobb Vanth, and he's almost a bookend to this episode. Rosario Dawson is back as Ahsoka Tano, and it was a nice surprise seeing her. Jordan Bolger is scad and Sophie Thatcher is drash, and it boggles my mind that these two get credits and did absolutely nothing in this episode. In fact, they're listed and stand among several other of the mod gang at the State of the Union meeting, but those other ones are not listed. Carrie Jones is listed as Chrysanthemum. David Peskizi is the major domo to Mokshais, and he does have a line. Corey Burton is the voice of Cad Bane. Performance by Doreen Kingy, and he's done stunts for years, including, say it with me, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's Corey Burton's voice that really makes Cad Bane really creepy. Jennifer Beals is Garza Fwip, maybe for the last time, and some guy named Mark Hamill, yes, Jedi Master Luke Skywalker. You failed, Your Highness. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Scott Lang does his stunts. And I swear, I'm not talking about Ant-Man. I know there are ant droids, but seriously, the credits list Scott Lang as a stunt double for the Jedi. Graham Hamilton did the performance work for Luke, but I think they also might have used some of Max Lloyd-Jones' performance in to help with the capture and the final product of Luke that we see in this episode. The Gamorrean guards are listed, Frank Trigg and Colin Himes, and maybe, just maybe, the sanctuary bombing setup was a nod to a movie that Colin appeared in as a baby, The Untouchables. Deputy Scott is stunt coordinator J.J. Dashna, and I apologize sincerely for overlooking the credits Wednesday morning. You know, it was very early, 
but I completely forgot to check the credits, which I always tell people, always look at them for secrets, and I missed. He was right there in the credits. Shame on me. The Weak Way Bartender is indeed played again by W. Earl Brown, reprising his role from The Mandalorian Chapter 9. Joe from Mos Palgo is Charisma Chanel. And since they all got blown to pieces, I'll, I'll give in. I'll tell you the Twilight server's names, Marlon Aquino and Andrea Bartlow. We do not find out who the Pike Spice Runners were, even though some had lines, and we do not know who provided the droid server's voice, though the performance was once again by Chris Bartlett, although that server droid is gone now. When we come back from a short break, I'll begin the recap and discussion part of the show, so please, stick around. Apologies. Okay, episode 6 begins on an old windmill in the desert. No, it's it's wind cups on a moisture evaporator. And if it's desert, it's safe to assume here it's Tatooine. Two groups of pikes are meeting, one with a chest of spice and one with a cantono of credits. There's only one speeder. I have no idea why they decide to meet this far out and only one group has a speeder. For that matter... We don't see how Marshall Cobb Vanth shows up without drawing attention from far off. It's one of those things that you overlook because of the rest of the episode, but how you don't see that when you're setting up the shot and then you feel like it doesn't need to be explained, I just don't know. The Pikes are meeting in Mos Pelgo territory because the Marshal says so. He is a cool customer and very confident. I didn't see what's in that chest. And consequently, no laws have been broken far as I'm concerned. I find it interesting that law enforcement all over the place is so eager to turn a blind eye. Even our hero, Captain Carson Tiva, let Din Jaren slide once or twice, right? Maybe it's self-preservation and to avoid confrontation, but Vanth is seeing firsthand that Spice is coming close to Mos Pelgo. Turning a blind eye here would only embolden the pikes to come back stronger next time. The marshal has to shoot three of the pikes for attacking. Why does he spare the fourth? Yes, okay, he's sending a message, but he says he's heard of the Syndicate. So then how does he think this is going to go? Sorry, but you bury all four bodies in the sand if you're burying three. Drive that speeder to a spot outside Moss Eisley and then leave it there. Dump the spice, take the credits, leave the Camp Tono. You don't give the Pikes anything to trace it back to you or your town. Maybe even use those credits to hire some mercenaries to come protect your town. Because you know trouble is coming. Instead, he lets the courier go with the credits and kicks over the spice. I guess he's being honorable. If he really wanted to make the deal, let the guy go with both. And then maybe it's a few months before the pikes move in on you since they kept their money and their product and, you know, nobody was hurt, really, except for the ones that pulled their guns or their blasters. Then it's time for the title slate. From the desert comes a stranger, and I didn't think that this was Vanth, and I know that it's not Vanth after the uh, rest of the episode, that is. I just didn't have an idea who the stranger was going to be. I mean, I didn't even dare hope who it was going to be. My initial thoughts were maybe this is referring to the warrior, Tuscan. Maybe she survived and she would reveal herself then. 
We go from the slate to the newly refurbished and souped-up starfighter of Din Djarin as he approaches a planet with lush green foliage and plenty of water. Could this be a different part of Tython? The reason I ask is because I compared the two planets, and while there isn't anything that points it out for sure, I feel like that might be the right track. So Din lands, R2-D2 appears on screen. Why he's waiting there, I don't know, and how Din knew where to go is also kind of puzzling to me. On the walk to where R2 is leading him, they see a rock rise above a hill. It was a fantastic psych out with the reveal it's not the force moving the rock, it's an ant droid. And that is what they're called in the closed captioning. As I expected, an entry has now been created on Wikipedia, although there was none for it when I checked early Wednesday morning. They all continue to a clearing where work on a central building is already underway, but it's not far along. And this confuses me too. Surely we're not talking about only a couple of days between Luke taking Grogu and then starting this building. Maybe he had to go fabricate or collect the ant droids, but why is this temple, which gets built so quickly, only just being started today? Maybe since it is, that's how Din finds out where to find them, because perhaps Luke made it known that today was the day he's going to start up his school building, but to whom would he tell that? This mystery is a little more bothersome to me than how Cobb Vanth got to the Pikes meeting and why they only had one speeder. Ultimately, I let this slide, though, because of what I get in the episode. Jaren asks for Skywalker, but if there isn't anyone around to hear you in the forest, did that really make a sound? I love the callback to Force Awakens 2 when R2 shuts down. Is that a bench? How long will I be waiting? Is anyone here? Anyone alive? We stay on the planet, we get some mood music and move through some peaceful shots of the flora of the planet, and then we see silhouettes, and we're shown Grogu meditating on the top of a hill among the grass, and then the camera shows us Grogu, and then we see Luke Skywalker. The first time I saw him, I felt like something was off. I, I still feel like it's a little bit off, but this is by far the best I've ever seen it done. Hiring Shamook from YouTube has certainly helped them come up with a more realistic image, and it is so good. I wonder if the part that feels off is that they're using more of Max Lloyd-Jones and Graham Hamilton here than they are of Mark Hamill, which in a way should be fine. That kind of eases us into what could be the future of Luke Skywalker, at least between now and The Force Awakens. It's certainly Mark's likeness, and he gets credited as a Skywalker, but to me it's more an impression of him. The more I watch, though, the more I accept it. And because I'm not questioning the story, I am more willing to go along with this as Luke. Now our first lesson that we see is one of focus. Luke is teaching Grogu that his distraction is going to make him miss the fact that he can lift every frog out of the pound if he only reached out to the Force. I thought snacky time was really funny and cute. Instead, Krogu is focusing on himself here, he, his own hunger. This has really been what we've seen repeatedly from him in the Mandalorian series. I don't think we're going to see Grogu become a Sith apprentice or anything, but he is using the Force for selfish reasons. Grogu... Luke scolds him gently. Then he shows him just what the Force can do, raising all those frogs out from the pond, and the look that came on Grogu's face was adorable. 
He was wide-eyed and smiling. And then Luke and Grogu go for a walk. Well, Luke walks and Force carries Grogu along, and it was awesome. It felt very natural to me to see him do that. Grogu hasn't learned Force speed, that's for sure. And then Yoda gets name-dropped, and I think it was very important for us to hear him call out the resemblance. I think if he didn't, we'd question why he wouldn't say something. He doesn't, though, appear to have any lore for us on the species. The physical resemblance is the only thing that's called out. In fact, the physical resemblance that's called out is his size. He once said to me, Size matters not. That's how he talked. Luke says he spoke in riddles, which we know. But it's nice to hear Luke point that out. You know, it's unusual. Then he probes for memories. When he asks if Grogu remembers anyone speaking like that from his home, Grogu gets sad. Luke goes about helping him remember, and then there's a force vision for Grogu, but rather than a glimpse of Mommy and Daddy Grogu, we see a vision of torment. He's watching three Jedi, maybe three that mean a lot to him, die at the blasters of the clone troopers early on in the assault of the Jedi Temple, you know, just after Order 66. Grogu does not appear to know or have any memory of Yoda. And this might be important if book canon holds, because Leia was able to communicate with Ben in utero, and Leia said she remembered her mother being sad. So maybe that he can't go back to his earliest memories, or memories of others of his species, is important. Maybe he was created and not born. This is almost surely what Grogu was repressing when we heard Ahsoka mention it in Chapter 13 of The Mandalorian, that he you know, was holding something back. Grogu comes out of his force vision and he's sitting by Luke near a pond. And Luke promises that he's going to train Grogu to defend himself because the universe is a dangerous place. I mean, Grogu knows that all too well. You. I didn't expect to see you here. I'm an old friend of the family. I don't know why I was surprised to see Ahsoka. If I think about Filoni having a hand in this episode, when she appeared, though, I realized the speculation about if and when they would end up meeting Luke and Ahsoka. We don't ever have to talk about that. What a relief it is for Filoni to give us this gift. Not wondering, not waiting for that reunion. And then R2 as well. She sees R2, who she does know. Though, thankfully, she doesn't call him r 2 Maybe she's just older and wiser now. I was thinking about her line about the school being nothing now, but someday a great school. She says Grogu will be its first student. Not Luke's. It's. I think a lot of people have been making a mistake on Twitter arguing that this is an inconsistency. It's it's not. The plan appears to be for Grogu to be this school's, this school building's first student. I think it's cut and dry what this means for Grogu's decision later. The Mandalorian asks pointed questions after he wakes up from his nap and finds Ahsoka waiting on him. What's going on? I want to see the kid. Why is she okay with Luke training Grogu, but not her? It's very much as if Filoni and Favreau are trying to cut off some of the speculation. Ahsoka talks about the school forming. She tells Din that the bond is strong between them and that it's a concern. Ominously, or at least ironically, because we know what happens in the future... Ahsoka drops a line about how safe Grogu is with Luke. There is no place in the galaxy more safe than here with Luke. 
both true and false, optimistic and sad. Ahsoka warns Din that this attachment that he has might be costly to Grogu's training, but she doesn't try stopping him with anything but his own conscience. She's not even using a mind trick on him. She asks if he wants to see Grogu for Grogu's sake or his own, and Din tries to convince himself and Ahsoka that he's really just doing it to give Grogu a gift. You know, one that he has the right to as a Mandalorian foundling. Foundling. Perhaps he has a Padawan now. Perfect response from Ahsoka. The Mandalorian thinks about it, says it's for his protection. Ahsoka offers up that she'll bring it to him if that's true. He came all this way. He's right there. Ahsoka explains it's going to set him back and make things more difficult for him. Din Djarin watches as Luke and Grogu are there on the hilltop, and he makes the heart-wrenching, difficult decision to give over the gift and just leave. I wonder at what point Grogu felt his presence. Maybe Luke is the one that sensed it and then told him silently through the Force while Mando flew off? Alright, it's time to continue your training. It was certainly emotional seeing Grogu reach out after his daddy. We first saw Grogu learning meditation and failing because of the frog. So I thought it cute that when Luke continued his training that we're seeing the little green guy attempt to jump like one now. Any parent of a very small child that sees them trying to jump could probably relate to that scene. It was absolutely adorable. Don't try. Do. It also went so well with the backpack run scene, an echo of the one we saw in Empire Strikes Back with Luke and Yoda. Luke then force climbs a bamboo stock, and they look out on the verdant valley. The wide world exists in balance. Feel the force all around you. Through the force, you will find balance as well. Then we see Grogu attempting to balance on the tree limb over the water. Maybe Filoni and Favreau were avoiding rock levitation on purpose in favor of the jumping and the balancing. He's complimentary of Grogu Lucas when he starts to do well. Then we get Luke igniting his lightsaber and practicing saber forms in front of Grogu. And you can see the green lightsaber reflection on Grogu's eyes. This is a child with a watchful eye on his guardian. I don't think it's a stretch to make a comparison with a child imitating a parent. I think we might see Grilgu wield a lightsaber at somewhat a proficient level just after just seeing this demonstration. I mean, that would be kind of Force-like, and, you know, it's not a Mary Sue thing. I mean, Luke was pretty decent with a sword after very little training. He probably won't carry one or wield one, but what if he needs to use the Darksaber? To save Daddy Din. Oh, what if... What if Din gets defeated, loses the Darksaber in combat, but Grogu then defeats that person and earns the Saber, and then he has the claim to the rule of Mandalore? What What if that is what happens? Oh, man. So, alright, so we get Meditation... Focus, jumping and climbing, balance, lightsaber demonstration. So sixth period appears to be training remote and working on reflexes. 
Grogu gets zapped like Luke did on the Falcon, but also like Luke, he's a quick study. Get back up. Always get back up. Grogu doesn't just feel the right moment to leap away. He also adds a nice flip. Luke is pleased, and it seems seventh period is recess because we have Grogu hopping and flipping and avoiding the training remote, and he even destroys it. But Ahsoka and Luke don't even seem shocked at that. I expected some kind of a remark about his fear or anger or something. It wasn't like he was angry, but it did seem weird for some reason that Luke wouldn't be concerned. I, I can't explain why I feel that way, but it just does. Ahsoka even compliments Luke on his teaching style, but Luke makes another interesting comment. It's more like he's remembering that I'm actually teaching him anything. Ahsoka tells Luke sometimes the student guides the master and shows him the gift that Mando brought. But I'm really curious about that remembering remark. We'll have to remember that for our future and to see if that comes into play. Like maybe someone at the Jedi Temple did teach him. Luke, though, wonders aloud, is Grogu's heart in this training? So much like your father. What I was thinking about while looking at Luke's reactions is, I'm looking at reactions that are being placed there on purpose by people using computers. So someone wanted Luke to react more concerned about seeing the gift than he was about hearing from Ahsoka that he was like his father in any way, shape, or form. We don't hear Luke ask about his father or his mother, so I think we have to assume this isn't their first conversation. I wonder why Ahsoka is here now, but not later when he's teaching people at the school. I wonder why she's not hunting down Thrawn right now, or if she already had, or if that's what we're going to see in her series. I wonder why her only reply when Luke asks, what do I do, is trust your instincts. She was much more manipulative to the Mandalorian. Maybe she's got some respect for the family or for his powers as a Jedi. While it's safe to assume, I think this is far from their first meeting, I do feel like it's ominous that Luke asks her if he's going to see her again. Maybe it's a setup for her own series. Perhaps she replies, maybe we're just waiting to see what the writers cook up. Or maybe this is all we get between Luke and Ahsoka. And all the meaty stuff that we want to know about happens off screen in books or comics and probably not video games. And meanwhile, Grogu is socked out. He's taking a nap on a rock. Mando did what he said he was going to do. Now he returns to Tatooine. He promised Fennec he's going to go see Boba Fett after seeing his little friend. So he's going to do just that. We get a Gamorrean guard meeting him in the hangar beneath the palace. And I swore. I thought I heard him grunt okay after his I'm here at the request of Fennec Shan line. I'm here at the request of Fennec Shand. Fennec is running a little state of the union in the throne room and we see Boba Fett, but he doesn't say a single thing. Shan introduced Din Djarin and Kersantan as the muscle, but says they need foot soldiers. The Mandalorian says he might be able to help, and I thought, okay, we're going to get a little montage of him getting the band together. Instead, we get a cool but confusingly unimportant scene of him doing a flyby on some Jawas with the head of the crate Dragon on top of the Sandcrawler. He doesn't even recruit them. I would have been rolling my eyes if he did. I don't know if I expected him instead to head around to various tribes of Tuscans and recruit them, but the only thing we see in this episode is him stopping in one place, 
Mas Pelgo. The deputy gets a very TV deputy kind of interaction, but Ka Vanth is a master ninja again. He appears out of nowhere behind him, this time behind the deputy, diffusing the parking situation. He's new. Still a bit jumpy. Is that a Naboo starfighter? That's what it started off as. I was okay with the car slash starfighter talk. I liked the line about him being more careful without the armor. I liked him asking about the little guy in his line about them both missing something they were fond of. And I liked Din Djarin buying him a drink to get him inside for a chat. The crate's dragon ribs were apparently moved to the bar for ambiance. But hey, you kill that thing and you want people to know about it, right? Apparently, the town has been named Freetown by the people. But I don't know why, other than a nod to maybe something in Legends or New Book canon. Because they might have been harassed at one point by the Red Key Raiders, but it wasn't the Crate Dragon thing that stopped them from being harassed. It was called Vanth and his armor and the missile, right? The dragon wasn't harassing them or enslaving them. It's It seemed like just a lame inclusion, and I guess it was just to make somebody happy. I liked the deputy character. I just wish he was wearing, you know, maybe a red shirt or something. <laughs> he had the red bandana, but I knew I, I kind of knew he wasn't going to make it, but I, I liked the performance by J.J. Dashnaw. I, I, I thought it was pretty cool. The marshal is the one that's wearing the red shirt, right? So Din Djarin's case to him about the town being part of the planet, it had a very Qui-Gon Jinn Phantom Menace vibe. You know, having just watched that movie with my daughters, it seemed appropriate that we see the Mandalorian making a plea to the town, or at least to Marshall, to get him to appeal to the town, kind of like the Jedi did for the people of Naboo to the Gungans. I appreciate the town feeling like they've had enough. You know, there's a lot of violence. But apparently the Marshall did not tell anyone about the spice being so close to town yet. Maybe that's why he agrees to call a town meeting. I did feel like since he's already an outcast that maybe Mando could have taken off his helmet to hit the point home. But maybe his line about no easy way to ask for a favor just hit just as hard. I'll tell you what. Things are tough around here. But I'll see what I can do. So maybe Cobb Vanth is coming around and he's calling the, the meeting to maybe talk some sense into the people and maybe admit, hey, the spice is, is, is pretty close and we need to defend ourselves and, and nip this in the bud. But just think, if the Mandalorian had stuck around just a few moments longer, he would have seen the wind shift. We are about to find out what From the Desert Comes a Stranger is all about. The moment I saw that silhouette walking in from the desert, I knew it was Cad Bane. I, I was hoping it was Cad Bane. I thought... Maybe we're going to get the scene, like the one unfinished scene from the Clone Wars that Filoni once showed at Star Wars Celebration between Boba Fett and Bane, the, the shootout. I thought the Marshal was going to get it in the head at this point, but he doesn't. And more on that in a moment. And who might you be? Hearing Corey Burton do that voice. Boy, that sends a, sh a chill up your spine, doesn't it? The whole walk up. And stare down, very Western, very epic. He makes his case. The syndicate's going to keep moving Spice. You take the money we give you, and you stay out of it. Boba Fett's a killer. He worked for the Empire. You don't want to align yourself with him. 
Vanth, he just wants the town left alone. Bane doesn't care, though. He's a hired gun. You should have never given up your armor. Now, I guess maybe Cad Bane did some investigating before he got to town and knew at one point, you know, Vanth had armor. That makes sense to me, that he would do some research. Bane was always prepared for missions when we saw him in the Clone Wars and in Bad Batch. There's no sign of Toto anywhere, but he does have one of his other old friends. His holstered LL-30 pistol makes an appearance when he moves his duster out of the way. About 45 seconds passes in between him doing that, that dialogue, and then him drawing. The deputy makes the wrong first move, but Bane appears to shoot Vanth in the shoulder first, although the timing was a little off if you go back and look at it on the computer graphics. He kind of ducks out of the way before the shot comes. Before the deputy can even skin his smoke wagon, he gets four blaster pistol bolts to the chest. He is a goner. But I definitely think we're going to see Vanth pull through, especially when the closed captioning seems to indicate the townsfolk are trying to save his life with med packs and stims. Dertuine belongs to the Syndicate. As long as the spice keeps running, everyone will be left alone. That's all Bane has to say, but we're not done. Into Mas Espa and the Sanctuary we go. I was confused when the Pikes came in. When they didn't speak and started walking out, I knew then what was going down. I think that's going to be the end of Madame Garza. But maybe she survives. Maybe the server droid is done, that's for sure. And notably, we never saw Max Rebo. Not anywhere this time. We saw him both previous times playing. Rebo, I'm confident, works the day shift. And this was at night, so I am positive that he's safe, folks. But, but wait, you forgot your cartoona. Our final scenes are with Grogu and Luke back on the unknown planet of mountains, ponds, and bamboo. The central training temple appears to be complete, and Luke and Grogu sit in a rock circle. There was an alcove I was trying to zoom in on to see what artifacts Luke might have already had, but I didn't see any books, that's for sure. Luke brings out the gift and places the chainmail to one side, then pulls out a lightsaber and shows Grogu one of Yoda's old laser swords. I don't think this is the same one that he lost in a duel with Palpatine in the Senate chamber, but I think maybe it's another one he had made at one point. Maybe it's even something Luke tracked down and reassembled, but Luke's not a liar. This is definitely Yoda's. I did think maybe the second choice was just going to be a kyber crystal, because I thought maybe building a saber was part of the training, but maybe that's not part of Luke's training. Luke's presentation is understandable, coming only a few years after his father tossed Palpatine into the reactor of the second Death Star. If you choose the armor, you'll return to your friend, the Mandalorian. However, you will be giving into attachment to those that you love, and forsaking the way of the Jedi. But if you choose the lightsaber, you will be the first student in my academy, and I will train you to be a great Jedi. It will take you many years to master the ways of the Force, and you may never see the Mandalorian again. Because, Grogu, a short time for you is a lifetime for someone else. Attachment to his friends, though, is a mistake that he made, so I'm not even sure if he was going to hold Grogu to this. 
Yoda didn't, and Yoda was much more sure of himself that Luke would throw away their sacrifice. Yoda and Obi-Wan were also sure Anakin was lost, but Luke proved them wrong. I'm sure Grogu is going to pick the chainmail, but I don't know if that means Luke is going to escort Grogu to Tatooine and then end up helping defeat the Pikes because he's there. You know, you can't just put Grogu on a bus. He has to choose his family over the Jedi because everything so far in this show is about choosing your family. It's called The Book of Boba Fett, and we saw early on how Boba missed his dad, was without a family, grew up in a crime family, then lost everything, was reborn from the desert into a new family with a tribe. He even gets baptized by acid and ancient waters in a walking vision. What you need to find is a back to tank. Then we seemingly take this odd turn back to the Mandalorian. But he also lost his family. Then he was a foundling, finds his new family. He gets accepted by his new family. Then he gets exiled like minutes later in the episode. Then he goes seeking out his own foundling in Grogu. We hear Ahsoka mention she's a friend of the family. We notably do not hear Luke mention his own, even once Ahsoka likens him to his father. He only speaks of Yoda, not even Ben. He doesn't speak of Leia or Han or their son Ben, who's as of 9 ABY, he's either 4 or 5 years old now, right? Anything could happen this week in Chapter 7. We could see shots of Leia and Han, a baby Ben. More Force visions, maybe even some Force ghosts. Maybe Yoda makes an appearance. The Pikes. Maybe they lose out to another rival, like a Crimson, a red one. A crimson rival. Crimson Dawn or whoever. Luke joins in the battle. Maybe he gets a moment with Boba Fett and Fennec Shand. Or someone else. I'm prepared for anything, are you? Which do you choose? I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It's part of Star Wars Podcast Day 2022. It's supposed to be the 23rd anniversary of Jedi Talk, which appears to be the very first Star Wars-related podcast, which appeared for the first time on February 7th, 1999. I'm proud to be part of the tradition, even if I'm not the biggest one out there. There is just one season and possibly one series episode left of The Book of Boba Fett. It's coming Wednesday. I am planning on being up nice and early to work on a reaction and a discussion, but that means there's only a few days left to take advantage of the discount code that Cufflinks.com has graciously extended to you, our listeners, from the end of 2021 all the way to the 11th of February. There's still time to use it. Head to the site, check out the merchandise, be sure to use the way 15 in the discount code box, and you'll save 15% off site-wide. Thanks again to Cufflinks.com for their terrific support. If you want to take part and have your voice heard, send us questions and comments to thisisthewaypodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at thisisthewaypod or on facebook.com at slash thisisthewaypod. The Book of Boba Fett Chapter 7 starts streaming Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. Until then, I'm your host, Steve Lascalzo, and this is The Way. May the Force be with you, always. Yeah.